For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hello and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in Proverbs 11, we make our way through a variety of different topics that show us more of what smart and dumb look like, along with their corresponding consequences. It might be helpful for comprehension to read along with an NIV 1984 Bible. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, The Narrow Path. Now, Heavenly Father, we just come before you once again. We ask that the Holy Spirit would... Focus our attention on the Word of God and make us sensitive to your voice, Lord, that we'd understand uh, what your Word is saying to us, what your, what your heart is for our, for our lives, Lord. Uh, help us to hear and to obey and to put these things into practice, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I've heard it said that experience comes from what we've done and wisdom comes from what we've done badly. Uh, and, and, and don't wish to have happen again, amen? Uh, well, we don't always have to learn uh, the hard way, especially as believers. Uh, God has given us a new heart, right? He's renewed our mind and uh, he's put a new spirit in us to guide us and uh, the word of God to instruct us, just like we read in the psalm uh, this evening. Uh, He wants to illuminate us and the word of God also to light our way. Psalm 119, uh, same psalm, but only 100 verses later, uh, we'll say in in verse 105, your word, of course, you know this one, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen. Uh, Well done. And uh, no brighter place to find a collection of wisdom than the book of Proverbs. That's what it's called, the sayings of the wise. In other words, uh, stuff smart people know, right? It's all there. Not only do they know it, they practice it. And so wisdom's calling out there and uh, shining bright in 31 chapters right there uh, for us to glean. Now, it's not rocket science. The book of Proverbs is just kind of summed up. This is what smart looks like uh, with the accompanying blessings and the pleasure that goes with being smart and doing the right thing. And this is what stupid looks like. Uh, And the painful, sorry, that's what the translation is. Um, This is what stupid looks like and um, the painful ramifications of acting in dumb ways. Dumb would be uh, ignoring God and uh, his word. That would be uh, not smart. So God's hope is by reflecting on all of these uh, proverbs and saying of the wise and seeing it fleshed out before us that we would learn vicariously through the blessing of those who do the right thing and the painful consequences of those who don't, that we'd have lots of aha moments. So that's why many pastors and Christians alike say, read the proverbs every morning. Just read them. They're 31 chapters, right? So they go really well with the days of the month. So whatever day of the month it is, you can just open up there and just plow through them again. And sooner or later, a light is going to come on. Amen? (laughs) Now, (laughs) that's how you feel, right? I mean, I've been doing this for almost 40 years, and I still feel like I'm beginning 
just now to, to get a handle on some of these things. So uh, we've come to the middle of the uh, book, chapter 11, and this is, as you know, if you were here last week or the last couple weeks, uh, this is where uh, the Holy Spirit just fires both barrels at us about these uh, little sound bites of truth. They're, 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 they're just hundreds of them. There's about 30 in each chapter, as you've been seeing, and uh, little bullets of truth and wisdom, sound bites of smart, I like to call them, right? And hopefully, they're going to come at us now. We're going to look at chapter 11 and plod through them all. There's about 31 verses, and, and just have time to just make a comment and application and move on. But as they come at us, you know, it's my prayer that, that we just get hit with one of these bullets of truth and uh, enlightened and have some aha moments and be changed as a result. So uh, let's read chapter 11, get some uh, understanding, make some application. Really, it's a spiritual potluck of wisdom. Uh, you just never know what the next verse is going to say. So verse one, let's see. Let's get started. The Lord abhors or hates or detests the word there is, it's an abomination to the Lord. Dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. And so what we have here right away is a crying baby. <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, we have provisions for that as well. And so uh, the revelation of something that God loves and hates here, and it's contrasted here, um, for fellowship's sake, if you want to walk with somebody, what does Amos say? Amos 3.3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? So it, commands are given us for a heart from God for fellowship. If you want to be close to me, you have to be like me. That's why he says, be holy because I'm holy. And how can we walk together and love one another if you're doing things like if Barb was telling uh, me, you know, uh, when we were dating that she hated a certain kind of uh, cologne and then I douse myself in the cologne that she hates and show up for a date. I don't think that would go well. You know, it's the same understanding here. So but here's what the Lord hates and here's what he loves and what he hates here is dishonest skills. Now, the Proverbs talk a lot about honesty and dishonesty and business practices. You cannot separate business ethics from your Christian life. There's, it's not an oxymoron, business ethics. It's, it's, we are who we are on the job and in the church, amen? So, so what this is all about, here's a picture of the scales. It, it's actually the idea was the bar and the hanging scales. And, and what the scammers and crooks would do, they had a multitude of ways to, to uh, put stones and balances on one side. So, so if you wanted 10 shekels, and by the way, shekels was not so much money, it was a weight. All right, if you wanted 10 shekels of figs, all right, they, they'd say, here are the 10 shekel stones, right? But the 10 shekel stones were hollowed out or mislabeled, you know, they, they were the same uh, corrupt minds as we have today. Uh, nothing has really changed. And so uh, uh, God says, I just hate that. I just detest that. So uh, the, the concept would extend to all of us with um, lots of applications for, you know, not disclosing the mileage on something that you want to sell or overpricing uh, a product or, or, or um, 
uh, all sorts of things, giving the employers uh, less than what they're expecting, right? All kinds of things. So the takeaway here, Yahweh hates cheats, but loves those who charge what is fair. The next proverb says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So what I notice is that there are a lot of ugly words that go with pride, not just, uh, you know, before the fall, pride, you know, pride comes before the fall. There's a lot of words, nasty ones, uh, like this one, disgrace. And so the idea here is fools are always associated with pride and shame. And the wise are always associated with humility, which means low thinking, low mindedness. Uh, uh, Jesus himself, if the son of God can be humble, then all of us can join in that kind of humility. He said, come to me because I am gentle, I am lowly in heart. That's the word here. And so um, I, I have written down here, what, and I've said this before, what turned Lucifer into the devil can't be good in any amount in our lives. So if you act like the devil, you will suffer the same kind of disgrace. And really, the word for pride here is boiling. It means to be boiling up, all constantly boiling me, 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 me. Boiling of self over, puffing up and boiling. And so uh, that's not good. The takeaway here is be humble and become wise or be proud and remain stupid. Why? Because if you're proud, you're not teachable. You can never become wise if you're proud. Because why? You already know that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I already knew that. But modest people have room to be corrected, and that's why that's humble people are associated with being wise. Uh, Proverbs, uh, the next verse, 11.3 says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. So here the concept is the benefits of uh, good behavior and the liabilities of bad behavior. That's always, you know, if you want to be blessed and enjoy some um, pleasure, then do the right thing. And if you want to be smacked upside of the head, uh, do something stupid. Uh, you would think we could have connected the dots a long time ago, but it takes some of us a long time. Uh, now, the idea here in integrity is wholeness. You are 100% fully devoted to God. Integrity from the Latin in the English, integer, meaning whole number, so you are what you are at work, at church, and in the car, and traffic, uh, when good times and bad times. Openness, transparency, and innocence is the idea there. You have nothing to hide. And, and so people who are devious and morally corrupt have a double life, right? And so that's, that's where dupliciousness comes from, that it means double life. And, and it says the double life of a person will be their undoing. You'll always be found out. Your wife will find the receipt to the restaurant that you didn't go to with her. Uh, and uh, your boss will catch you in a lie. Uh, the teacher will uh, discover your plagiarism. And emails uh, will be leaked by WikiLeaks. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I mean, you're, uh, you, you're going to be outed by your, your two-facedness, you know? Oh, we have an equal opportunity convention. And then the emails come out because, and what... Uh, what undid them, what, was their duplicity. That's exactly right there this week. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Verse four, <laughs> wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers uh, from death. 
Well, a proper perspective of what's really important in life, and it's often contrasted in these Proverbs, uh, the world thinks wealth is the answer to everything, and so we're constantly being told wealth has its place, and the Proverbs don't ha doesn't have anything against riches. They're neutral. It's just, in fact, God can bless uh, people with wealth, as we've heard in the Proverbs. It can protect from uh, this world's uh, troubles. We've already heard that last week. But it has severe limitations that when you start to trust in it, uh, to, uh, in, instead of God, uh, it's not as helpful as a right relationship with God. The day of wrath, what does that mean? It, means, uh, it can mean a crisis that leads to death, or the judgment of God after death. But generally speaking, it means uh, when your life turns upside down, it doesn't matter how much money. You know, when the doctor tells you, you know, somebody's got cancer, right? Or there's been a car accident and this and that. And, and the, the, the rains come down, the streams rise, the wind beats against the house. That's the idea, Jesus' uh, parable a building on the rock, is that when the day of disaster hits, you can have a disaster-proof life uh, by um, a right relationship with God, not about money. Verse 5, the righteousness of the blameless makes a straight way for them, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. So uh, here again, the theology, the two-path theology. There are two paths. God says there's only two ways in life. Uh, one is a crooked path that leads off a cliff, and one is a narrow and straight path that leads to life. Jesus tells us that uh, the narrow and straight way that leads to life, only a few uh, um, find it. Uh, broad is the way that leads to destruction, the crooked path, and many go that way. So, the, so uh, what sounds good to you? You know, uh, going off the cliff or going into heaven. I mean, there's a choice there. Uh, verse six, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. This, is one, this one's really easy. Good behavior will rescue you. Bad behavior will ensnare you. All right, verse seven. Uh, when a wicked man dies, his hope perishes. All he expected from his power comes to nothing. Now, this is one of my favorite ones in the chapter. Um, it points out the brevity of life. You know, something Billy Graham was asked, you know, what, what's a big revelation in his later years? And Audi, Audi came with the brevity of life. The brevity of life and the folly of those whose reward is in this life. And so a relationship with God, without a relationship with God, uh, without the assurance of heaven, when an unbeliever dies, it's game over and time to face reality. How sad to have wasted your life. It's the saddest thing in the whole universe is to get to the, the end of a human life that was given by God and it didn't count for anything because God and that person, by that person's choice, were estranged so nothing ever counted because they never came to life. Oh, my word. So when a wicked person dies who's rejected the gospel, um, it comes to nothing. There's just nothing there. Sad and strange sight the other day. We were, uh, Barb and I went to a restaurant behind. Uh, next to the dumpster was a very strange sight. And I asked her to take a picture because I said, I know I will use this in a sermon. And it's Fits perfectly. This is just the other day. So she took a picture of all these trophies 
that were by the dumpster. Somebody was getting rid of somebody probably died, right? And they cleaned out their garage at the estate sale. And then, you know, who wants somebody's used trophies? And, and apparently there's another picture of it, you know. It was just, just you know, uh, it, they, were they were a billiards champion, pool player, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with excelling at, a, at a, even a game like billiards, billiards or, or pool or uh, to have trophies or medals or ribbons or whatever. But those things have to be subordinate to the king of God and God's will. And, 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 and in, that, in that, those ways, they can be a platform uh, for the gospel or, or to be uh, thoroughly enjoyed the correct way. Now, uh, seriously, I mean, so many lives. And it, it just represents so much. I mean, you just never see a hearse and a U-Haul behind the hearse, right? <laughs> and, and you just can't. It's like, who wants these? Uh, you know, the guy died or the gal died. You know, who wants these? Nobody. You know, Jesus says, but get your trophies in heaven. Send them on ahead where, where you won't need a dumpster. Okay, where they'll count for something. You want to count for something. So live with thinking about eternity and store up treasures and trophies in heaven is the takeaway. Verse 8, the righteous man is rescued from trouble and it comes on the wicked instead. Here's another simple one. In the end, people will get what they deserve. Verse 9. With his mouth, the godless destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. Now, here's a contrast between the effects of fools on those who are close to them and the effects wise people have on those who are around them. So, by the way, the word godless there. Uh, defined by a scholar named Van Leeuwen. Uh, I love it. It says, a godless person is one who goes through life ignoring God. That's godless. It's without God. So the godless, uh, their advice causes harm, and those close to them who listen and put that into practice um, uh, suffer. Now, uh, but the neighbor, those who are close in the sphere of influence to wise people will benefit to wise words and by their example and be constantly avoiding trouble. So really the takeaway there is walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harms and I suffers harm. I stole that from already chapter 13. All right, so I hope you don't mind about that. So uh, be discriminating about those you spend time with. That's the takeaway. Be discriminating. Next. Verse 10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there's shouts of joy. So no matter who we are, this is a truth that Proverbs always expresses, uh, how we live, our, our influences, our influences go far uh, beyond ourselves. And so the takeaway here is pretty easy. Most of these are uh, when the good guys win and when the bad guys lose, everybody's happy and the world's a better place. So I have down here, P.S., uh, you want people to be happy uh, with your success, 
not happy because you're dead, right? That's, that's what it says. The wicked perish their shouts of joy. Thank God, finally, he's gone. That, don't look at me like that. If you have a problem, email the Lord on this one. Verse 11, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it's destroyed. So similar idea, the cumulative effect of good people, good-hearted people on the, on the popula- uh, population and the, uh, the same, uh, the total amount of bad-hearted people and the impact upon, uh, especially their malicious words. And so uh, when there is lots of God-fearers in a community, uh, there's prosperity, there's peace, there's order, there's goodness. You remember Little House on the Prairie? Come on. That's about the only time in the whole history of the world that that's ever happened, and nor shall it ever happen again. Uh, we're past those days forever. Amen? But, um, you know, I like what it says in Psalm 12, help, Lord, for the godly are no more. And when they're, they're still godly, man, boy, it's, it's hard. And so uh, in the same way, truth rejectors, when there are a lot of God-haters somewhere, they just bring ruin. There's chanting and terrorism in the streets, and, and it's their mouths. It's their mouths, you know? So you, you, you really don't want to be a part of that. Um, Takeaway is uh, be part of the solution in the world by being a wise person, not part of the problem. Verse 12. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. So now verses 12 uh, through 15, going to return to the theme of talking, using words with restraint and care. And we already have heard from the New Testament that a man who does not, or a woman who doesn't keep a tight rein on their tongue, their Christianity is worthless. So uh, we need to be careful about every idle word since it's going to come under the judgment of our Lord. And so uh, while it, yeah, it's a a lack of character uh, to be a fault finder who criticizes unjustly, makes fun of somebody, your neighbor is just somebody close to you, um, or slander them or to put down others. That just says a lot about who you are. There's lots of reasons we do that. Number one, we're jealous and envious of somebody. And so we have to strike out at them or we're insecure and we want to feel better about ourselves. So if I tear you down, then I'm lifted up a little bit. Or you're thin-skinned, or I'm thin-skinned, and then we get offended, and then we strike out uh, in pain. So we slander or put down other people. But yes, it's a character flaw in us when we do that, but it's, it's seldom do we think of it as foolish, that you're a fool to do that. Now, why does the Bible say it's a fool a fool is the one who denigrates or insults somebody for no, no, no good reason. Um, well, for one thing, if you're mean-spirited and judgmental, and judgmental means you're a fault finder. You're just picky. You just pick people apart. Judgmental doesn't mean making a, a right judgment. Jesus says make Stop making wrong judgments. A wrong judgment is you always do that. And I know what that look means. And I know what you're thinking. No, you don't. You can't know what anybody's thinking. You think you do. But you could be wrong. That's judging somebody. That, that rush to judgment. You don't want to help. You just want to hurt. 
right? That's being judgmental. Right judgment is looking at the fruit on the tree and saying that's an orange tree because it has oranges on it, right? So that's what Jesus said to do. You look at people's behavior, you're able to say that's a wrong behavior. That's not being judgmental. That's inspecting fruit. That's what we're supposed to do. And so uh, he says, don't, Jesus says, don't judge or you too will be judged for in the same way that you judge others. Listen, you will be judged. So with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what, what he's saying, you're a fool because what you're doing by deriding people all the time is you're going to make people do that to you. Because if you're constantly picking people apart, they're going to put up their defenses and pick you apart and try to beat you to it. You see, and so that's what Jesus says. The same measure you use, you're always tight on people. You never cut them slack. Jesus says the same measure you mete out to others, they're going to give it back to you. So if you're wanting somebody to cut you slack, then you need to be a gracious, kind person because when you need it and you will need it, uh, they will return the favor because it's John. John's always cutting me slack and John uh, messed up and so now, I, instead of deriding him or uh, criticizing him or, or, or uh, chastising him, uh, I'm going to cut him slack because that's the way he is. And so that's really the, the takeaway. The takeaway is really mom taught us the takeaway. Um, if you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. A man of understanding holds his tongue. L- listen, we don't hold our tongue when we're supposed to be talking. We're supposed to be talking about things that matter. But you hold your tongue when you would just want to just stab somebody for no good reason other than you got your feelings hurt or you're feeling insecure. That's when you hold your tongue. When you're going to say something that the Holy Spirit's told you, you know, that's not really the right thing to say, is it? Right? That, that's when we hold our tongue and we're wise. All right, verse 13. A gossip betrays a confidence. See, sins of the mouth here. But a trustworthy man keeps a secret. So this proverb deals with whom you can or cannot trust. One litmus test is their ability or inability to maintain confidentiality, uh, to keep personal, private, sensitive matters, just that, private. And by the way, if somebody confides in you, says, listen, I'm going to tell you something, you know, I'm going to hurt myself, but you can't tell anybody. Or I'm going to hurt somebody else. Or I happen to know that John is going to do something bad or is doing something very harmful. You're not, you're not under any oath. I tell people right there, sorry, I'm going to tell. Because I, I, you, know, you can't swear me to confidentiality when somebody's welfare is on the line. That doesn't work that way. You know? So uh, you're supposed to not keep a confidence where that involves hurting somebody or something that's immoral or harmful or illegal, for crying out loud. Everybody thinks, well, I gave my word. Well, it was a faulty vow. It was not a good idea. So um, the word gossip, oh, it's just perfect here. It means tailbearer, somebody who loves to talk when they shouldn't be talking. Um, it, it, it sounds perfect, too. It's halach in Hebrew. Halach. You know, doesn't that sound, you do not want to be a halach, right? <laughs> Well, maybe some of you do. Well, well, I don't know. So it's a person who goes, it means to walk or wander. 
So it means to spread or walk or wander with your words. Just wandering around, you know, speaking negatively about someone in a mean manner. Can't wait to share secrets that, that should be kept and, and intentions to harm and not uh, help. Now, and by the way, and I've told you this before, if somebody comes to you with the latest on somebody, right, you're not going to believe this. Well, let me tell you, I just heard that Mike, you're never going to believe this, Mike, just I promise you that it will not be very much time before you are the object of that uh, latest news to somebody else through them, because that's what they do, right? Hello? Hello? Okay. Maybe too close to home for some of us. All right. Last little thing about this, by the way, I was, uh, oh, 30 years ago. I was a pastoral intern more than 30 years ago. <laughs> and uh, I was a student at a large church. And I was staying uh, for the summer as an intern at the church. And the pastor had me housed at a very nice couple's house. It was on a ranch. It was beautiful. And he said, they're very sweet people. And he said, right before I went in there, he dropped me off at the house. And before I got out of the car, he said, listen, Pastor Alan Groff, he says, I just want you to know that anything you say to, let's call her Mary, sorry, if you're Mary, if anything you say to Mary, the wife, just, just as long as you wouldn't mind saying it to the whole church, <laughs> then you're, that's cool. So that saved me because I'm the kind of guy I want to be your best friend and tell you everything. I sit down at the table. I want to tell you every, just what's happening. And, you know, that's how I get to know people, you know. But many times I'm like, and yeah, no, no, yeah, that reminds me. Yeah, because I'm thinking, I don't want the whole church to know that, you know. And then I saw why he told me that. So this proverb is, don't be like Mary. All right, moving on. <laughs> Verse 14, right? For a lack of guidance, a nation fails. Mm. But many advisors make victory sure. Wisdom indispensable for leadership and then the team approach because not one person has all the answers, right? So when you're in an important position, you need guys and gals to bounce things off of. And God designed things like that. Now, it's not running around. Uh, many advisors make victories sure of running around. What do you think I should do? I don't know what I should do. What do you think I should do? That's not the truth here. The truth is, like David, the, the bad kings did that. They had no leadership ability. They had no moral compass. So they're asking everybody because they're lost puppies, right? But King David, he knew what to do. He just needed a little uh, affirmation, confirmation here and there. So he had advisors. So, you know, you don't go looking around for what should I do? I don't know anything. You know, it's, you need to have direction and a moral compass. And then uh, for lack of guidance, a nation fails. Well, when the captain of the ship or the boss of the company or the president of the nation uh, has no scruples or moral compass, then disaster is imminent. And that's the takeaway. Uh, verse 15. He who puts up security for another will surely suffer. But whoever refuses to strike hands in a pledge is safe. Uh, if you want a podcast on the, the whole evils of co-signing, then Proverbs chapter 6, go on our app. And I talked a lot about it because it's mentioned a lot in Proverbs chapter 6. Always foolish to uh, guarantee someone else's debt 
especially when the banks considered them in the first place to be a bad risk. So you're saying, you know, everybody else thinks you're not good for this, but me, I'll sign on the dotted line for you. You're never, see, temper, generosity with wisdom and discernment, all right? So you don't buy, you don't supply the guy who's a drunkard with his next beer and just say, you know, every time I see a homeless guy, I just have to, you know, because Jesus said to give. No, no, you're not, you're enabling, you're not helping. Buy him a sandwich, give him a jacket, you know, give him a job to do in your backyard, but do not give him money. If he's got beer on his breath and he's destroyed his life that way, he's just saying, do not put yourself in harm's way. If you want to help somebody, uh, gift it to them, uh, loan only what you don't mind uh, losing. Uh, give it to them interest-free. Just loan it, you know, but don't secure a loan for someone uh, who uh, perhaps shouldn't even be um, purchasing or getting themselves into debt anyway. Uh, verse 16. A kind-hearted woman gains respect, but ruthless men gain only wealth. This is, this is one of them that, like, what? I don't get it. Uh, so uh, here's, here's the takeaway, all right? So really, it's a call to men to reassess what real success is. So here's the paraphrase. A kind woman, uh, in the end, gains honor and fares better than a shoot 'em up kind of macho action hero does. So uh, he's just kind of trying to tell testosterone-filled guys uh, uh, who don't know the Lord that it's not all about just aggression and uh, getting out there. It says, really, all you can do is make a lot of money, all right, with that aggressiveness but it's not the kind of money that the Proverbs blesses. It's the kind of money that chokes you out and uh, you put your trust in uh, to no avail. And so, yeah, verse 17, a kind man benefits himself, but a cruel man brings trouble on himself. And so a rebuke again to men and their uh, testosterone nature. Uh, Our actions, good or bad, uh, have a boomerang dynamic. All right, so here's a great incentive. By the way, the word kind there is hesed, and hesed is a covenant love that God has uh, with his people, and it's kind of the parallel companion of agape in the New Testament. And so men have a hard time being merciful and grace-oriented, and this is a call for guys to express this kind of love as an investment, you will reap back uh, something good when you are kind and merciful. It's something that doesn't come uh, quite natural to a lot of guys. And so uh, he who refreshes others, he himself will be refreshed. Um, given it will be given to you. So a kind man benefits himself. So he's trying to motivate you to be kind and giving. You know, if you sow hate, you will reap a different kind of harvest. So if you dig a pit for somebody, the Proverbs say you will fall into it. Uh, Verse 18. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. And so this is an easy one. The reward for being right with God is better than any paycheck of the wealthiest unbeliever. Verse 19. 
The truly righteous man attains life, but he who pursues evil goes to his death. Life and death, it just comes down to a choice. And no one says it better than Moses to the Jews. See, I said before you today, life and prosperity. Okay, two choices, death or destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, keep his commands, decrees and laws, then you'll live and, and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Verse 17. But if your hearts turn away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you like two things, one and two, A and B. Yeah, life and death, blessings or cursings. Now, here's my suggestion. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Yeah, so, it, it, you know, the Lord just thinks it's easy, you know? It's like, do you want an ice cream cone or a punch in the nose? Uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, and, and, and there are people who say a punch in the nose. And not just one, make it a triple, you know? <laughs> Their choice, our choice, seems no-brainer, but tonight there'll be some who will choose death. There's somebody in here sad to say, oh, it's just a morbid thought, I'm sorry, but there probably is someone here that will perish. Probably. Probably one. Right? This is a big room. There's a lot of people here. You think everybody's on fire for Jesus tonight? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay, good. All right, let's go with that. I think that's a lot more optimistic. I'm just saying, are you, the, are you the one? Are you the one that is going to pursue evil and go to your death? I hope not. All right. So verse uh, 20. The Lord detests men of perverse heart, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. Okay, let's see what's going on here. Pretty intriguing, thought-provoking, because it says he hates men. That word detest means hates. He hates them. Let's talk about this, because, you know, what God loves and hates is, is mentioned here. Or should we say who as well? Who he hates and who he loves. That's what is here. The contrast between a crooked heart, which he hates, and innocence or blameless. Blameless and perfect are two different things. We're called to be blameless. That means we're right before God, our sins are forgiven, and we're not, we're not trying to do anything wrong. We're walking with him, and he considers us blameless. We are not perfect, right? He loves us just because we're blameless, and we're, we, we belong to him. Now, in a general sense, God has love for the sinful race, right? It's evidenced by the cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and we get that in a general sense, God loves the world, for God so loved the world. Specifically speaking, he's holy, good, morally pure, perfect in truth and just, and therefore he opposes and detests and hates immoral wickedness and depravity, and he detests evil deeds and evil doers. Oh, don't force me to give you references. Psalm 5. He hates evildoers. 
Psalm 11 and verse 5. Uh, violent and evildoers, he says, my soul hates. Now, you know, it's hard to reconcile this. So, no, God does not love people who blow innocent people up. He does not love people who rent big semi-trucks and run down 100 people. He does not love them. He has a love generally for mankind by which he's offered those he hates a way out because of his love, right? But there's no way he loves people like that. Slip people's throats. He doesn't love them. He hates them. That's what the Bible says. He hates them. Now, I would not recommend you say, well, God hates them, so I'm going to hate them. You know what? You know, we're going to let God do what God says he does, right? And, and how to juxtapose God's love and God's hate for people. Uh, that's something that we're not going to know until we get there, right? I, I can't do that math. He does love them, but he hates them as well. Uh, evildoers, right? For our parts, our part here, we're called to love our enemies and keep our hearts free from that kind of hate. So that's the best advice I can offer. So uh, verse 21, be sure of this, the wicked will not go unpunished, uh, but those who are righteous will go free. Now I like this because here's what Proverbs is saying. Things are not always as they appear. So, so cheer up. All right, because you can look out at the world like Psalm 73 and just get freaked out. Psalm 73, the psalmist says, I almost stumbled and tripped up in my relationship with God because I looked with envy on the prosperity of the wicked. Their bodies are healthy. They're making a lot of money. They're having all the good time. And he said, oh, at the end of the psalm, he says, oh, finally, the Lord led me into the sanctuary and I opened up the scrolls and I read the Bible and the Holy Spirit showed me their end. And I was like back to my right mind. And so he says, be sure of this. Stop it. The wicked will, will not go unpunished. Uh, so godless people may seem to prosper and it seems like evildoers are getting away with murder. And while those who serve God are got the short end of the stick here, Right, but he says, oh, oh, there's a great reversal coming and um, everyone will be perfectly dealt with. Yeah, the, the dead are judged after a thousand year reign of Christ. The dead are judged, all the wicked will be resurrected. And check this out. The Bible says the books are open and the dead who will all wind up in a place that Jesus called hell, right? They are judged according to the deeds recorded in the books. That's a quote from Revelation chapter 20. So, so he's saying, be sure of this. There's books. They'll be open and they will be judged. The dead wicked will be judged. Every last thing's written down and recorded. So yeah, don't be thinking anybody's getting away with murder. I mean, seriously, be sure of this. He's saying, be sure. If it's one thing you can know that's gonna happen, it's the wicked are going to be held accountable. Don't you be thinking, oh, look at the, look at, no. Verse 22. Here's a fun one. 
Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Well, here's, here's the meaning. Bad behavior makes one unattractive no matter how outwardly beautiful you may be. Amen? So here, here we go here. Oh, and by the way, ladies, if it bothers you that he's picking on girls here, you know, I, I wrote one for guys, all right? I can't claim inspiration, uh, but here you go. Here's an effort. Like a fine gold coin at the bottom of the toilet bowl <laughs> is a handsome guy who shows no discretion. How about that? It's kind of the same thing. All right. Ladies, I'm trying, okay? Bad. Uh, listen, so here's the idea here. A small part of the picture is the attraction to God. The small part is your physical attraction because it's a small gold ring. It's attractive, but it's only a small part of the picture. The larger part of the picture is the animal called the pig. All right, and so he's saying, what about the beautiful person who's acting in unbecoming way, the unbecoming behavior is much larger than the little small part of the attraction, the pig. Now, we're talking about Jews, so it's got an extra layer of, whoa, ugly, dirty, and unclean, right? So no discernment, what does that mean? A beautiful woman who's cussing, right? A beautiful woman, have you, I mean, a, a beautiful woman who cusses, like a sailor. Oh, that really, you know, takes a huge toll on cute. It really, really does. Or, or gossiping or talking or mean-spirited. Just, it, just, it just obscures the beauty for sure. So the takeaway here is what's really important to young men and women. Uh, it's not so much charm because the uh, Proverbs will say that's deceptive. Beauty is fading, and an attractive body, you know, it doesn't last forever. But a woman who reveres the Lord and a man who fears the Lord uh, will be given praise, lower, lower caps, praise. Um, godly character makes an ordinary person very attractive. When you see an ordinary person who's kind, merciful, um, generous to the poor, They're beautiful. Amen. They're beautiful, right? So verse 23, we're almost there. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the hope of the wicked only in wrath. And so here's the idea again. Do you, do, do you want to enjoy a really delicious meal or do you want to get bitten by a wild animal? You know, there are just, it just makes it so easy, right? And so there are a lot of people who like wild animals, apparently, in the world. Verse 24, uh, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. So here's the paradoxical nature of God's laws. We've talked about this on Sunday morning. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. The way up is down. You humble yourself, you're exalted. You exalt yourself, you're cast down. You see, to find yourself at God's expense is to lose yourself. It's only when you lose yourself and what you want and how you feel 
and your orientation and all of what you want and what makes you happy, you lose yourself, right? If you lose that, for God's sake, then you find who you truly are. It's just upside down. And so uh, how does it work that the giver gets richer and the tight one, stingy person gets poorer? How does that work? Because commonly, worldly, common sense really, uh, might lead you to believe that the holding on to one's possessions is more certain way to wealth, right? Hold on, you won't lose it, right? But here's the deal with God is you make room and God pours in, Amen. right? It's the person who won't make room that God won't pour into. That's just the way it is. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows generously will also reap generously. So the takeaway here is go ahead and, and don't be afraid of pouring out. Don't be afraid. Well, what if, what if I give too much? You know, well, yeah, common sense applied. You're not going to give too much. God is going to fill in. If God's calling you to be generous, be generous. Don't be afraid. He's going to refill. 11.25 says, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So the secret to a happy life. If anybody in this room is not happy and you want to be happy, I'll tell you what. You have one, you have two clauses here that is the secret to healing your depression Healing your being self-absorbed, healing your, your lack of enthusiasm, get out of yourself. Get out of your own self-absorbed thinking about your needs in the relationship, about how you've been wronged and all of this. A generous person who's always others-centered, who's refreshing others, they themselves will be refreshed. And so it doesn't matter. There's no qualifier here, whether it's money, time, encouragement, a favor, practical uh, help. God loves this attribute in people. God is this way himself, and he wants to motivate you and me to be this way. So we make sure that we are affirmed. So when we do these things, instead of feeling, when you're other-centered, instead of feeling depleted, he comes in and refreshes you, right? So instead of feeling like, oh, there goes the bank account, he comes in and fills it up. So that you're like, oh man, that's so funny because I gave and then I was affirmed and I was blessed. And so he's trying to get us to connect the dots so that we'll become this kind of person. And so um, when we do these things, be other-centered. Instead of being taxed and, and depleted, we're blessed. The happiest, most content people the most healthiest mentally and emotionally and spiritually are those who live to refresh others, to serve others. They got it. They caught the thing Jesus said, you will be blessed and happy if you imitate me and just humble yourself and be everybody's servant. How can I serve you? Verse 26, people curse the man who hoards gain, but blessings crown him who's willing to sell. Again, the same theme here. Uh, the takeaway, no one likes a stingy person. Who likes a stingy person? What is wrong with a stingy Christian? I don't understand stingy Christians. I can understand a thrifty Christian. 
And maybe you think of yourself as thrifty, but actually other people know it's really a stingy problem. But is there anything worse than a miser? I, I, don't, I don't understand them, and, and I, I don't get I do not get the guy who, who always lets someone else pick up the tab. I just, I, I fight. For that, I was going out with a guy that uh, he's always wanted to have lunch, right? So we were having lunch, and uh, I knew he he never let me pay. So before I went in, I told the waitress I beat him to there to the restaurant next door. Uh, it's uh, yeah, he was an usher here at the church, and uh, I gave the card. I put the card there, and I said he's going to take out his card and make a big deal, and I'm going to fight with him. But then you got to come over and just say sorry, it's already paid for. And she did, and he was so mad. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> come on, you guys. Let's just. I think people are very uh, generous in this church, but pick up the tab, cut someone a good deal. You know, share your toys. Share your toys. Verse 27, he who seeks good finds goodwill, but evil comes to him who searches for it. <laughs> I like this one. Careful what you're looking for, because you may find it. You may find it. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of, of your heart, right? Delight yourself in something else, and he'll give you the desire of your heart. It's what he does. Romans chapter 1, you keep wanting to go there. Let me go there, let me go there, let me go there. After a while, he goes, he lifts up the guardrail, and it says he gives you over to it. Like, have at it. Have a taste of it. You know, maybe that'll bring you back to your senses. So be really careful. You're constantly trying to do something. God's saying, you're not going to be happy. It's going to hurt, you know. No, I want to do this. And he's like, okay, uh, go ahead. So that's what, you, that's what you're going to get. So uh, examine your desires, the takeaway. Are you looking for an opportunity to serve or an opportunity to sin? Are you looking for a way to help others or to further yourself? Are you looking for a way to make uh, peace or cause uh, problems? Okay, verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. So once again, distinguishing, he's asking the question, who's your daddy? All right, he's saying, <laughs> he's saying, he really is. He's saying, who, who, who's your daddy? The dollar or the deliverer? This is what he's saying, you know? You trust in your riches. Oh, well, thank God I got the bank and I got this investment and thank God. Thank God for that, but behind that, you must trust in God. So, you know, if you've got a problem, you call a lawyer, but you call on the name of the Lord, right, as well. You can sit with a counselor, but you don't trust the counselor. You sit with the Lord before you go in to sit with the counselor and then after you sit with the Lord after you've talked to the counselor and taken the good counselor's advice. That's the thing. We always look to the doctor, look to the counselor, look to the lawyer, look to the teacher, look to the pastor. Come on, look past these things. It's not about them or the money. It's about trusting in the Lord. Amen? Good. We're almost done. Verse 29. He who brings trouble on his family will inherit only the wind 
and the fool will be servant to the wise. Again, the downside of, of foolish behavior, you only hurt yourself and those who you say you love. Uh, the two clauses here are complementary. They don't seem like it in English. Uh, the word for trouble there in Hebrew has uh, avarice, uh, greed, lust for materialism. So it's the guy who won't get a regular job and he's just thrown his money away at the casino or buying lottery tickets uh, or get rich quick schemes. And, and all that comes from that is dust in the wind or uh, never any substance, right? So grasping for air. And so uh, this kind of fool will end up mismanaging his finances. And back in the, those days, you'd sell yourself into slavery uh, to pay off your debts and so that you will be serving somebody who's smarter than you with their money. That's the essence of uh, that proverb. Verse 30, two more. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So in short, the actions and advice of the wise preserves and enhances the lives of others. It's just a beautiful thing. Is there a better prayer? Everything associated with Christians and believers and wise people is associated with life, bringing life, bringing strength and hope and optimism and courage and uh, all of this. Um, is there a better way to open your eyes in the morning and pray this kind of prayer? God, help me point somebody to you. God, help me help get somebody back on the straight and narrow path or to refresh someone or to bring someone some cheer to make somebody laugh, to encourage the weak, to strengthen somebody's faith, to lighten somebody's load to turn someone from death. This is what he's talking about. The fruit of a, right, a person who's right with God, the product of their life, is life for others. And, and what better feeling is there to go to bed at night, put your head on the pillow, and say, you know, I impacted somebody with life today. I brought a scripture. I prayed with somebody. I encouraged somebody. My life meant something today because I impacted somebody with something of life instead of down and tearing and problems and all of that. To win souls, the word win there is to seize or to carry off or to acquire. Uh, Jude has it in verse 23 where he says, snatch some from the fire. That's what he's talking about. So be on your guard to be others-centered uh, and lay your head on the pillow tonight saying, I made a difference in somebody's life today for good. That's what life's about. Not about how things went with you. Sorry, you are way off, way off. If you're, if you're evaluating your day on how things went with you, oh, you got a lot to learn. Verse 31, if the righteous receive their due on earth, and it's the last verse, if they receive their due on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? So our last verse in the chapter tonight says, listen, it's that same idea that no one is going to get away with anything. So the rhetorical question is this. If God judges his people and disciplines us when we go astray, how much more? The rhetorical question is, wow, yeah. So if he's on us about every little thing, and he is, 
because every little thing matters, you know, in a good way. So when we err, he comes and chastises us for our own benefit. And so he says, if that's the case, and Peter has it in chapter 4, verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey uh, the gospel? That's what he's saying. I don't know about you, but God doesn't let me get away with anything, nothing. I mean, I just, he calls me on the carpet for everything. I mean, there might be other stuff he's calling me on the carpet I don't even know about, but I'm too busy with the stuff he's calling me with that to catch the stuff I'm not catching. Anyway, he's saying he's on the case. He's doing his work in our lives. Don't you worry about a thing. This is a just universe, and everybody is going to have to answer One last thought. When we get saved, we have this idea that nothing really matters how we live anymore. Our faithfulness, you know, we're saved. All our sins are forgiven, so who cares? And we get really careless and lazy, but we don't understand. We receive our due on earth, which means God is recompensing us, good and bad, for the way. God bless you for that one. (laughs) That needed a blessing. (laughs) good and bad, God is recompensing us, right? So you want to take that to heart for your attitude driving home, how you act tonight, because he's looking and watching and responding according to either your wisdom or your folly. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love. Thank you for all of these Proverbs, Lord. There's a lot of them. May the ones that matter tonight, Lord, stand out in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.